You're listening to TWN Champions, episode number eight. Champions, arise! Welcome to the Champions Countdown Podcast, where we summon heroes from across space and time to populate our intergalactic museum. Or something like that. This is episode eight. I'm Rebecca, and with me here, as always, is... He was felled by the Balrog, but he's back now. Doom, 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 went the drums in the deep, and they were playing for... Will! Okie finoki alakazam! <laughs> oh, the Balrog! Oh, he's like... Uh... I'm dying. Ugh, I can't stand it. Ugh. They'd know them words. <laughs> they wouldn't have had trouble with a Balrog. Hello, William. Hello. How are you doing? Pretty good. Anything magical going on in your life? Well, I am an earthquake survivor. <laughs> yep, yep. I survived an earthquake. We had a very small, I guess, obviously our first <laughs> involvement at all with an earthquake. Yeah, that's true. Except for Earthquake the Wrestler. That's and, true. Of the natural disasters. We've had lots of involvement with him, but that's a different that's a different story. I think everyone felt like they personally had his spittle land on them during his promos. That's why he was so effective. Yes. When it was and, and the earthquake was about that week too. I think it was like a three <laughs> three point four and it was far away. I just thought some some kids threw a basketball over the fence and it hit our house or something, so I thought a truck drove down the street real fast, and the it, dog couldn't decide whether he if he was going to bark at it or not. Yeah, e- either way, it was annoying because the dog barked. But uh, interesting. No, he did it in the end. He did it. Oh, is that right? He considered it. Oh yeah, you you counsel. Yeah, I heard you. I counseled. Yeah, I counseled him. I talked him out of yes. it. Yes. Like I know that was weird. I don't know what it was either, but I think you coaxed him. I remember on a standardized test in elementary school, coaxed was one of the words you're trying to figure out. He coaxed the dolphin to the side of the pool. I remember that. Yeah, that was from your test. Yeah. In like. As a child, were you not, why is the dolphin in the swimming pool? <laughs> why? There was also one about two planets merging together or whatever. They had very creative test writers. I was going to say, they were very fanciful. Yeah. They were like, I've missed my true calling. <laughs> Since we're not too uh, moved by the Earth, <laughs> um, our life can just kind of go on as it has been. And that means that next week, our good friend Scott's going to be back on our on our show yes. again. We'll check in with socially distanced Scott because we don't get to see him as often because we're being responsible in the year of 2020 of, of the COVID time. So We gave him an assignment for a pretty good topic. That'll be a fun one. Yeah, we, we've got a good one next week, so we'll check in with Scott next week. I know you all miss him. We do too. There's nothing wrong with him. He's just at his house where he's safe. So, knowing that Scott's checked in from the earthquake, actually, we didn't check in with him. What if the earthquake got Scott? Well, we have a lot we of text si- him. We have, sometimes we have sinkholes in our town, so there's a lot of adventure down there. Scott could be having a sinkhole adventure. It could be just like Goonies. Yeah. Like he goes down there's like a grotto with some treasure. And then he crawls up from our air intake in our house. And, <laughs> Yay, <laughs> Scott's like a, here. There's a beer that rolls out of the cold air intake. <laughs> We make it sound like he drinks all the time. It's just, he really doesn't. No, I know. He's just, he's just, yeah. He's, like, he drinks 100% of the time I see him, yeah. like, on a Friday night, like, every 12 weeks. 
but it's dad beer. It's dad beer. No, no, different. Yeah, daddy juice. So, Will, what are we talking about today? On today's show, we're counting down our personal favorite takes on the wizard archetype. I have four. Rebecca has four. It's a top eight. So what is a wizard? Thank you for asking, Rebecca. In a way, this is a big one for us, right? Because yeah, this is a, this is a pretty show? big one. We may have to like go back and do other wizard type later because this I is think a so. huge topic. It really is. These first picks, I know we're hitting sort of the, the big uh, umbrella archetypes. I mean, witches and wizards are kind of like the king and queen of the fantasy archetypes. So this is a big one. It's true. I guess most simply, a wizard is probably a traditionally male magic user kind of like the counterpoint to a traditionally female witch. Historically, I know we could spend a lot of time here, but I think wizard is probably a label someone accepts or declares for their special abilities in society, like healing or prognosticating or performing religious rites of some sort. Yeah, yeah, no, okay. Um, We're good. And then I was also thinking about the difference between wizards and witches slash warlocks. And I feel like that's kind of an important distinction because I think the difference might be that wizards are more often channeling good or neutral magic. And I know there's a lot of politics around how we code different types of magic. Like um, I saw a good uh, encyclopedia article where they were talking about how religious texts may even refer to certain magic acts as miracles instead of blasphemous magic. So it just sort of depends on how you perceive it. Oh, I've never thought of it that way. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Because in, in the Bible especially, I mean, you can you can sort of see, you know, they'll talk about um, um, blasphemous augurers or whatever, but then there's also acts that, you know, we culturally accept as, as miracles. It's kind of interesting. Yeah, that, and that's going way back. Yeah, yes. Now, if you go a little less way back, but still way back, um, like wizards, even as we know it today, date back to like the 1100s uh-huh. um, in in <laughs> Middle Ages. To know the history of wizards, we must visit the Matter of Britain, which in the 1100s was like this, this collection of lore that was told about King Arthur that started to be written into stories. Of course, okay. that wouldn't be until like 300 years later when the printing press came along that we could really like write stories about King Arthur, mm-hmm. right? right for, we're just telling them first, first of all. Um, so Merlin yeah. is our guy. I think so. He appeared first in 1136. Oh. You okay. remember the year? I thought uh, he appeared in first night for the first time. <laughs> the very, we have never heard of this guy. Who is this Merlin? He's going to be yeah. a star. He should have been one of the hunks we had to choose from. He should have been. The magic user should have been. But, Tell I mean, me about real Merlin that actually existed. Well, we, well, so he was an amalgamation of several characters that I won't get into, because also I don't really know. But, but he was like kind of an amalgamation of figures that were coming out of lore mm-hmm. at the time. And um, we remember the year. I mean, we, we complain about reboots nowadays, but like imagine being like a peasant in the Middle Ages, and it's like, here's the bard in your sorry tavern or whatever, <laughs> and it, it's like, okay, I've got a story for you about King Arthur. And you're like, King Arthur again? Like, that's like, well, all the stories are King Arthur. Like, we had King Arthur story two weeks ago. Except for this one's about Merlin. Yeah, I don't want to hear a local bard story. I want to hear the book story, the good one. <laughs> we don't want to hear your spin on King Arthur. It stinks. Yeah, we don't. We don't want to hear this this King Arthur story cover band. They're terrible. <laughs> We're tired of them playing play that funky music, White Boy. How do they even know that song? No. 
<laughs> but yeah, so this is like going back way, 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 way. And I think it's kind of interesting because Merlin is like maybe one of the only characters that, I, I don't know, that go back that far that we still kind of enjoy as he himself. Like we mm -hmm. still have King Arthur stories today. But he's fairly crazy. unchanged. Yeah, we, but fairly unchanged. I mean, the Sword in the Stone Disney movie is must be pretty similar to how he was first conceived. He was popularized in lore as the son of a mortal woman and an incubus. Okay, and his main magic was prophecy and shape-shifting. Uh -huh. And uh, he was buried in the magical forest of Broceliande. In, according to lore. That's beautiful. It is beautiful. I never beautiful. heard that part. I never heard it either. And then I'm like, why don't we have any magic? I don't want to see a movie about Merlin's funeral. Well, you know, they had to. Well, so Merlin was felled by loving a woman, from what I understand. Oh. Uh, he, he, he loved the wrong woman and it ended poorly. So from Merlin, can we get a common understanding of our, like our modern portrayal of a fictional wizard but i mean it, it is basically what you've already said right because it's the pointy hat in all of uh -huh. the depictions of him it's like the pointy hat um he was a he was actually he created the king you know through magic and and so forth okay so a close advisor to those in power a mm -hmm. wizard usually is or can often be of course they can also be loners too but I was going to say that uh, sort of there's often sort of aloof and they're sort of sage-like. Um, they're like on the border of civilization often. And I was going to mention the robes and the conical hat. And so then we get to our guy who's, if Merlin is the first wizard, yeah. then Gandalf is obviously the exactly. wizard. Exactly. Yeah, I was going to say that too. Like Gandalf can't be on the countdown because he is the template against which we are counting mm -hmm. down. And speaking of, of pointy hat guys, can I tell you a little article I found about some wizard hats that uh, were actually found from Ooh. the Bronze Ages? Let us know. So uh, there was an article in the UK Telegraph from like the early 2000s that talked about these mysterious golden wizard hats they've uncovered around Switzerland and Germany and France from the Bronze Age. They found like four and they look like they weigh seven tons. They're super tall. So the article says that German archaeologists and historians claim that wizards in early Europe wore hats of gold intricately embellished with astrological symbols Ooh. that helped them predict the movement of the sun and stars. You know how you would sometimes buy, like, your trapper keeper and it would come with, like, <laughs> here's, like, a ruler and it's got the standard measurements on it and then here's all the metric stuff and then, like, here's, like, the common holidays and then yeah. here's, like, the common constellations because they're like, you're learning one thing, you're going to learn everything. Yeah. And so it's just basically that. And but then they, they the draw uh, the Aerosmith symbol with whiteout on the side of it, like a trapper <laughs> keeper, too. <laughs> yes. Here's a quote from one of the experts I was going to add. The symbols on the hat are a logarithmic table, which enables the movements of the sun and the moon to be calculated in advance. They suggest that Bronze Age man would have been able to make long-term empirical astrological observations. They would have been regarded as lords of time. Ooh, Isn't that cool? I love it. So it's like a, that, that's the closest we can get to conceiving of like a real wizard, I guess. I thought it was pretty cool. I don't know. You have to listen to the countdown and <laughs> okay. find out, but maybe. Okay, so one more thing I was going to add that I was just going to throw in there. Uh, another more modern interpretation of a wizard, since we don't really accept m magic is real in most circumstances, and maybe the idea of like a, a whiz, like somebody with the knack for something. They're a wizard at something. Yeah. I was just going to sort of add that colloquially because I, I, I think that might be worth considering too. Is this going to bear on a pick that you it have? Might. It, it might. It might. And you if have you to agree with it. If you pick Fred Savage in The Wiz, 
Uh-oh. No. Oh, his face. But, He's panicking. Uh, but I think it bear, but I think that's a good okay. example. That's fine. That's fine. Okay. Okay, I'll allow it because I have no other choice. I mean, what am I, what am I going to do? Be like, no, Will, go back. You cannot <laughs> say that. You cannot say those words. I banish you. <laughs> do you want to start us off with your first pick? Number eight. Somewhere scattered within my realm are the two pieces of the Triforce. Link and Zelda are trying to find them. And when they do, I'll be there. One of the things I liked about Nintendo games is that all their franchises have their own legendary villain. You have like Bowser or Ripley or Dracula, <laughs> who first appeared in Nintendo. Uh, so, <laughs> yes, so, I remember it as well. <laughs> Bram Stoker's Nintendo's Dracula. <laughs> this is my evil wizard. I want to talk about the wizard Ganon from the Zelda series well, on Nintendo game systems. Yeah, okay. We've talked before about our own Nintendo pedigrees, but talk to me a little bit about your Zelda experience. I did not get to play Zelda as a child. I did not have it. You started whipping skeletons in Castlevania. You're like, this is it for me. This is my story. Yeah. I'm, yeah, I'm just my for some purpose. reason, I feel like my cousin had Zelda, but he wasn't really into it. So the only games that I really had access to were the ones that he liked. And mm-hmm. he was trashy, so he liked... <laughs> What, that's not true. Whatever. Like, RC off-road. <laughs> but I, but, but Fast I mean, like, fishing. He, he's the one. He is the reason why I liked Simon's Quest. Yeah. What? Yeah, no. I'm a, but no, Zelda, a classic still to this day. And, and The golden cartridge. Everyone least, loved it. Yes. And you're at least culturally aware of the cartoon. Yeah. And, oh, and, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and Link's great catchphrase. Excuse me, princess. Yes. Not yet, Shannon. For those who haven't played any of those games, it's about an elf-like hero named Link who's trying to rescue the Princess Zelda from the evil sorcerer Ganon who possesses the Triforce of Power. In a nutshell, and I just did you a great service if you've ever looked at the wiki for this kind of thing. There are a lot of proper nouns that uh, this topic will require. (laughs) Well, Ganon himself has changed a lot over the series, but I'll start with the basics. His original best-known form is this humanoid boar-like creature. He's pretty pixelated all the way through Super Nintendo, but the animated series did a really good job with his look. And the thing I really liked about the animated series is that they didn't soften his look at all. He is truly terrifying and borderline pagan-looking, even in the cartoon, as silly as it was. He has no pupils in these red eyes, tusks curled up over his lips, a pit helmet... And uh, and uh, sorcerer robes. He's really scary, and he makes these uh, really guttural pig throat noises that he digs for in all his dialogue. And I just I love this look of his because you know whatever magic he's gotten into, he sacrificed something of his humanity because he took a dark route in his wizard yeah, studies. Yeah, those are the good wizards. I'm at, I was actually wondered about what our balance is going to be on this countdown of like evil wizards to good wizards. Uh-huh. And I was I was thinking that you and I might just it might just be all evil wizards all the way up. <laughs> I tried not to do that though. Well, again, it is it is a matter of of perspective. Um I one of the things I'll probably bring up is I like to think of wizardry as a discipline, not just magic use. Like maybe sorcerers are people who can just harness and channel magic, but wizards are people who study it as a practice or like masters of it. Okay. Um 
could you imagine learning something so great and interesting that you became like less human? Do you remember any courses you took or classes or subjects that just burned a hole in your brain that just you could have gone down a rabbit hole or you can't shake right now? No. No, I don't. There's you, no, there's you would no... have survived. You would have been a, a, a healthy, well-adjusted I, well, wizard who could help the town Will, I do with their th- moats and stuff. I, I feel like you have the character type. You are a person who could have been that wizard who was like well-intentioned and then maybe a, you found out something a little bit weird and you're like, what if I read this tome? And then like maybe you're like, okay, I'm just going to do one little spell where I'm going to become a little bit of a of a fly creature a little bit and then it's like just it's a slippery slope and then before you know it you're evil (laughs) just because you were concentrating shouldn't we talk to that thing on the asteroid that we could bring closer if we changed our yeah like you you could get into all kinds of wizard nonsense in the pursuit of knowledge i really feel like that that's like something that could happen to you an ocd wizard would be very dangerous well i feel like yeah no that that is a Okay, seriously, somebody, Jim Butcher, have several seats. The OCD Wizard book series, I'd love to read it. <laughs> I would, too. Of, of course, it'd probably be something kind of boring you got trapped in in your mind. Like the course I was thinking about was one of the college math classes I took where we were just building the most complicated fences in history for all these farmers. Like, this farm only has this much fencing. Yeah, that's you, that's like calculus. Yes, yeah. it was... It was I, 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 I min still max. have nightmares about making those fences for those farmers. <laughs> <laughs> well, it took wizardry to make this happen. It's like, I hope you appreciate all this math, farmer. Just make a square around your <laughs> pigs. I guess that really was wizardry in the sense, like the old-fashioned sense of it, in the same way that you just said, like in the Bronze Age, they were like doing astrological calculations because they just had like knowledge. Well, it, I mean, there was a time. <laughs> I have used wizardry to determine that this fence should be four feet by six feet. Exactly. Yes, it could be more efficient. I mean, there was a time in like, uh, quote unquote, recent history where there were mathematical concepts that people have not conceived of in their brains. Like, uh, I, I think it was like um, an Arabic culture that had the concept of zero. You know, we didn't, we couldn't conceive of that being a legitimate um, input into an equation. <laughs> you had three figs. I took three figs. How many do you have? One. Oh, I get it. And then the whole world just blew up. Not one. Not I'm one. Write, write not one in I this need, equation with I letters. I need more figs from the market. Yes, I'm just going to put N-A for those. Is that all right? <laughs> <laughs> Partial credit. <laughs> So, uh, so I, I get. <laughs> you really got me thinking about math as like a mind-blowing thing. It really is. No, but it really is when you think about it conceptually. When you've never really considered. They, it they are, they are symbols and constructs of imagination. Like any kind of magic is pretty. It's pretty interesting. So, I, yeah, I, I guess to sort of sort of sum up, I really like this idea that uh, somebody can be so full of magic they're going to disrupt the balance of the world. You've got Hyrule in Zelda, which is sort of this, um, like, pastoral idol, and then uh, Ganon can make a shade version of it because he's so resentful he had to live in the wastes. And between that and his iconic look and his near invulnerability, except for, like, the Master Sword or Silver Arrows, I think he's just great. And and I'm going to p- close by really selling him for you. 
He plays his own theme song on an organ in one of his boss battles. Yeah, that's pretty good. That's a great thing for a villain to do. I love a good wrestling entrance scene. Why has a wrestler never done that? Oh, yeah, to play their own instrument coming out? Shinsuke Nakamura needs to come out playing the electric guitar. Okay, well, doesn't, um, what's the one, Elias, isn't he, he's done that before, but he's not, it's not good, like, I'm talking about a pipe organ, Phantom of the Opera, that's what I want to see. They can bring him out on the gondola with a little baby grand doing that or something. Yeah, I really think that would have been a great gag for Macho Man Randy Savage. Could you imagine him playing something on the organ? Like, he would have had to learn how to play it, and then he really wouldn't. He'd just play the wrong notes, and it wouldn't matter. They're like, just dub <laughs> We in. clap anyway. Yeah, just dub in the crap. There you go, Randy. <laughs> Number seven. In 2009, Queen Elizabeth II conferred an award upon an unusual recipient. The Wizard of New Zealand of Christchurch. The services to the community. Wizard of New Zealand has been an icon of the Christchurch region for more than 30 years. He's a performer and a public speaker who's notable for reviving the ancient art of rhetoric. Okay, at number seven, I have a real dude. Okay. A real human being. And it is the Wizard of Christchurch, New Zealand, who has been promoted to the Wizard of New Zealand. Let me tell you about this guy. Okay. There was an article this week in uh, the, it was the CBC Canada that had the headline... New Zealand wizard insists reports of his retirement have been greatly exaggerated. Okay. This guy is an 87-year-old, we'll just say rascal. He's an 87-year-old wild man. We got to talk about wild men later, uh-huh. but who has over like 30 plus 40 years been a local colorful man wizard around town and he did it so much and so vehemently and with such conviction and for so long that they were just like he can be an official tourism dude for our town and then he can like do ceremonial ribbing cuttings at the new zealand version of the piggly wiggly or whatever (laughs) so he's like mayor mccheese yes And he, of course, like is good for tourism because it's like a yeah. funny, quirky thing. Like, yeah. oh, we if have you our saw own him. Yeah. And he has a, a salary of $10,000 a year to be the Wizard of Christ. And now I'm less charmed. <laughs> that's a, that's a, it's a meager salary, though. You know what I mean? He's oh, not, oh, that's his primary job. He, he devotes I mean, a lot of time a, to he's it. He's an older gentleman, so okay. yes. And like I said, there's a bit of a wild man they about him. They must be doing great on their tax collection in town that's great <laughs> like it's a it's a tourism investment yes. it's like investing in tourism budget well it is i mean like it is and like it's one of those silly things that people love when they go to new zealand to do all the lord of the rings uh-huh. tours like you want to all you know stop by and see the wizard yeah um but yeah uh, apparently uh they keep trying to push him out because he's a really polarizing figure because he's kind of <laughs> aggra- aggravating because yeah. just imagine like this is a dude who, for like 30 years, has been getting on a stepladder in the middle of the town square and just ranting at people. Yeah. And it, it's in character, but is it? Sometimes you're out and your kids are just being bad and like as a hot. Yeah, and you're you like, don't want to no, deal, right deal with a wizard, right? But sort of it, like the wizard in Toe Jam and Earl or something. <laughs> it's sort of an annoyance. 
But um, he says, like, he says the, the rumors of his retirement, and he's 87 years old. It's put out by my enemies, of which I have millions, <laughs> most of whom are bureaucrats. So he's <laughs> Which I have I love the grandiosity of it. Oh, yeah. And he was clear, like, it was an audio clip, so he was being funny, right? Yeah. He's got self-awareness. Oh, great. But okay. he's also bananas. Yeah. I mean, like, let's just get that over, the, over with, too. Um, and he says that ceremonial duties are needed in this world because everybody's being boring and wearing jeans all the time. And where? Where's like all that. the fun ritual and where's all the fun ceremony? So for me, I wanted to put him on the list because I am eternally on the hunt for adult role models. Because uh-huh. look, you know, I don't, I don't have like a, a mentor figure, right? We got to look to the world and see like who's living the kind of life that I want to uh-huh. live. And I believe the Wizard of Christchurch definitely is the Wizard of New Zealand. In 1982, the New Zealand Art Gallery Directors Association issued a statement that said, in their opinion, this dude is an authentic living work of art. Ha! That's awesome. Isn't that hilarious? He's a performance piece. He is a performance piece. He's mobile. And he aggravates people, and then some people, he just gets on their nerves, which is hilarious. That's why he has enemies, apparently. Um, He has a rating of four stars out of five on TripAdvisor. Uh Uh-huh. Okay, and now I just want you to think about your life real carefully for a minute. What kind of person are you if you're like, I'm going to go rate a human being on TripAdvisor, <laughs> and I'm going to give him, like, three stars. Like, what joyless piece? Like, you don't pay any money to yeah. see that. He's just there. Like, you're not, like, losing out on your money. Like, what is the maddening rubric against which you are grading this? I cannot tell you. And speaking of being mad, I think about being on the other side of that equation and imagine that you're so megalomaniacal that you're saying, I'm such an experience that I'm a destination yeah. That, that's all something you say if you're a real Lothario to people. I'm a destination. Well, I think that's something you should start saying because it's a good, I think I feel it's a good move. And I'll I mean, say it at work. I don't feel like this man knows how to use the internet, so he didn't put himself <laughs> as a destination on TripAdvisor. Clearly somebody did. Here's here's one of his, here's his th- a three-star review. He's average, doing his thing, having a say. A good character for a laugh. Three stars. What? I'm more concerned about the sanity of the person who wrote that, exactly. as you say. Exactly. It's very obvious what's going on here. Here's a crazy old man living his best wizard life. And you, ma'am, have the audacity to give him three stars out of five. (laughs) What are you rating? But anyway, the Wizard of New Zealand. Number six. Some of my favorite stories are the ones you're almost not sure were real. Like you have a memory of it, but it was so strange and people never talk about it. So it sits in your mind like a weird dream. Like the Publix commercial with all the Almond Brothers music in the background. Is this on your countdown? <laughs> no. Oh, but I just I, love thinking I about that. I needed you to be able to connect with it. I know you really like that story. <laughs> it's a story of a commercial I've never seen. <laughs> Think of it. Wait, there might be people who've listened to this who didn't listen to the Wizard's Nightshirt He-Man podcast. Imagine, if you will, a beautiful, sumptuous array of deli trays. Uh-huh. And there's long, sensual shots panning over the deli trays, all of which you can buy at Publix. And you're like, ooh, I'm going to go buy me a deli tray because you're watching a commercial, and this is happening here on the commercial. And they're like, well, let's just kick this up a notch over the top. How can we do that? And they're like, let's add some music. And what song is it? The Almond Brothers Jessica. <laughs> and 
it's just real jaunty song and then the thought of that song jauntily playing over slow sexy shots of cold cuts just <laughs> makes me happy in my heart and i can't explain it and i love it we bought a lot of turkey from Publix. i'm just saying <laughs> I love how you just had to you just had to talk about that. You just had to talk about that commercial, which we've never seen. I've never seen it. I just imagined it in my mind. Well, this pick actually kind of sounds like uh, a fancy kind of food. I want to talk about pondent doré from the world of David the Gnome. Okay. Woo. All right. <laughs> that was. I was worried because it sounded like a Star Wars name. No, for a it does kind of. Yeah, I can see that. I mean, okay, the Jedi's. Do they all count as wizards? I don't think they do. No. Okay. Good. <laughs> Sorry, Star Wars fans. <laughs> Once again, we shortchanged Star Wars. Anyway. The World of David the Gnome is a show from 1985, but syndicated on Nickelodeon and, and Nick Jr. in the 90s. This is one of those shows I almost didn't want to talk about because I wanted to say stay strange in my head. And I was surprised by how weirdly personal this one was for me. This is a storybook and adventure show that was originally a Spanish animated series and is based on a Dutch children's book called The Secret Book of Gnomes. In the late 80s and early 90s, it was syndicated on Nick Jr. with American voice actors. So if you haven't seen this show, it's kind of like a classic fantasy book where there's lots of world building with different types of gnomes and wizards and fairy kings and fairies that, sat, that laugh like this. <laughs> It's real, really annoying. That's probably how they laugh. And it was deceptively mature. I may not get into that here, but they were really fine, kind of uh, sad, bittersweet stories sometimes. And here's the premise. David and his wife, Lisa, are the oldest gnomes around. David is a doctor and hypnotist who travels by bird or fox to help animals or friends solve mysteries uh, and or solve their problems, like often they're injured. A lot of it feels very storybooky and pastoral, like I say, but the other half was very suspenseful and scary, at least as I remember it. <laughs> uh, and depending on how you curate episodes in a show, uh, you know, it, it seems a lot more like an action show. I remember being very scared in a lot of pl places. And I, I used to watch this all the time at my grandma's house while my mom taught summer school. <laughs> Anybody home? Anybody home? <laughs> Um, so the best episode of this series featured Pondent Doré. He's a human wizard friend of David's. He lives in the Himalayan mountains and has a great look. He's bald, he has a mustache, and he has this very dramatic conjuring animation that looks like something from The Last Airbender. I think he was only in one episode, but they used him in all the trailers because he looked awesome. Uh, it was in an episode called The Magic Knife that I think everybody agrees was the best episode. And in that episode, he helps David locate this missing knife. And David travels to this temple over a volcano and has to get past Holler the Troll and an army of spiders. <laughs> the reason I like this one is because Pondent's everything I want in a wizard. He's mysterious, he's kind of scary and inaccessible, and he unlocks great adventures for you. And he's so mysterious, in fact, I could not find a video with him in it. I guess because it's the the good episode, it's got all these copyright strikes, and I can't find... That's so terrible. I found some stills of him. Um, so and, you didn't dream him. No, he, I didn't dream he him. He was real. But I was concerned that I had, uh, <laughs> and so I had to uh, I had to keep I had to keep looking. David's voice is the uh, uh, Howard from Happy Days. <laughs> so I guess this one is more just me talking at people listening because I don't know how many people watch this show, but again, it was so strange and good. And I, I guess I would just add that 
the show's kind of notorious for this sad circle of life ending they had, which they probably didn't show much in syndication because kids couldn't handle it. But these were great stories. And I, I was just going to mention one in particular. I remember being very, very involved in and stressed out about where David finds a baby troll, like almost drowning in the river and trolls are the gnomes mortal enemy. And they're legit trying to kill them by like smoking them in their uh, trees and stuff. And David saves the baby troll. And so the mother troll accepts the baby and gives back a human baby to the farmer that it had stolen it from. That and is creepy when you think of that in a non-cartoon way. I know. <laughs> I know. And it's very weird. Like, there, it was all, always fighting uh, what sort of tone it wanted to strike. Like, if you heard the theme song or the trailers, they made it sound like this real storybooky thing. But it was pretty scary and really good. It was art. It was it was great art. It sounds like a, a a cartoon series that we did not deserve because, of course, the ones that were successful for us for our generation, they they were ones that they could sell toys off of. Yes, exactly. What? Like we can't sell David the Gnome toys. No, <laughs> nobody. This is nobody's gonna buy. Like, oh, here is the action figure of the baby that the trolls gave back. <laughs> yes. <laughs> there yes. you go, little girl. Here's a very tiny medical kit to <laughs> help foxes with broken bones. <laughs> <laughs> That's them crying. <laughs> you're, you're crying when you are given the present. So the very mysterious wizard pundit, Do-Re. Number five. At Taim's command, the edges of the dome rose all around. Surprised Chido, who had been pushing at what they could not see, stumbled forward. They recovered instantly, a black-veiled mass surging forward. But they had time for only a stride before Taim's next shout. Ashaman, kill! The front rank of Shido exploded. There was no other way to put it. We might just have to see what happens. Number five is a gift to you, Will. Okay. For I choose Mazram Taim, the Wheel of Time. Oh, I like that. Okay, and so... This is this is like the maybe the downside of wiki culture. I'm sure I'm I'm real country. I call him Mazram Tame. Mazram Tame is what his name phonetically looks like uh -huh. in the books. And, and that, if that you helps read you books in your, your pre-internet freaking wiki days, you've got a way of pronouncing things in your head. Yeah. And Mazram Tame is not it, but that's apparently how it's pronounced. Yeah. So deal with that. Yeah. Mazram, our our old boy Mazram Tame. Yeah. I'll I'll try to say the right. I'll try to say it correctly. All right, so I don't know how to succinctly or at all describe to you the Bananas Madness that is the 14-volume series, The Wheel of Time, by Robert Jordan. We, you know, I was, I'm always self-conscious about, are we going to hit our same kind of properties and things that we like in this show? And I don't care, and we won't, but The Wheel of Time was going to come up for the first time at some point, and... Why not now with our like uh, landmark namesake show about wizards? Go, go at it. <laughs> Tell me about the Wheel of Time book series. I'm going to try, okay? I will say here's the experience of consuming the Wheel of Time series, which is a, a sprawling book series that they keep trying to make movies and TV shows out of. And I think Amazon's trying literally yeah. right now. And we'll see how that goes. Yeah. <laughs> but it's known for its incredible attention to detail when it comes to uh, writing about different cultures of their fictitious world and mm -hmm. all of the cultural details that allow for conflicts um, on a grand scale and then of course minute details on an interpersonal scale i guess that's, yeah. that's how i would describe it and then the the 
comic booky fantasy part of it to get you hooked is that it has a great magic system that's based on uh, channeling, which I'm uh, assume you'll get into. Yeah, which I guess briefly we can just say there's a source of magic that uh, women have channeled for c- centuries. It's called Sidar, mm-hmm. and it's just like we're gonna do some magic. It's cool. We've got a white tower where we learn about all our magic stuff, and we are a cool bureaucracy of magic using ladies who also occasionally do warfare. But yeah. they also do diplomacy, and they also do healing, and they also do science or knowledge. Yeah, if there's one thing we like in fantasy books is there are like different factions because you want to say which one would I be? Yeah, which one am I? And so which there's all I? you want to know which Aja of the White Tower channeling ladies you are. Yeah, which one am I? Which one am I? And a long time ago, before the breaking, there were male uh, ones in the tower. But but now the male magic users harness Sidene. Right? Which is tainted. Yes. It was tainted by the dark one. And the more you use it, the more insane you get. Yeah, you get crazy. Now, the whole book series is about um, the reappearance of this male form of magic and, like, what the world does with it, basically. That, in, a, in a nutshell. And he's kind of got an Alexander the Great kind of story where it's argue. you know, he's a conqueror, but, you know, he's... he's kind of good but he's kind of fated to do it but maybe not it's kind of weird yeah there's a whole lot there's a whole lot going on don't worry about all that when you when you read the book series if you read the first book it's just sounds it's a it's a delightful adventure story about three young men who are plucked from obscurity of their village and then wind up going on an adventure that just unfolds this huge world before you Eventually, well, we meet our guy here, Mazram Taim, and I'm not going to tell you, like, plot points specifically, but he is a male channeler of magic, and eventually he rises to prominence in this world. All right. He had a little oopsie, which was one time he thought he was the Dragon Reborn, and if you're like, what is that? It's exactly what it sounds like, Okay. If you, if He's you just, the magic prophecy man. A magic prophecy man. Like, walk into your Kroger and be like, I am the dragon reborn. And everyone <laughs> will just be like, okay, you are the magic prophecy man. Sure, what, whatever. Um, he thought he was because he could do magic. But then, as it turns out, he wasn't it. And he got in very trouble and had to go into hiding. But now he's back. Okay. Mazram Saeem. He dresses cool. Yeah. He dresses in, like, all black. He's notably arrogant. Forgoing normal costumes of his of his rank and personhood for blue and gold dragons on his coat sleeves. And he's got black outfit, high cheekbones, dark hair. You don't know what his deal is. Is he good or is he bad? Is he bad because he was like, hey, I'm the dragon reborn. And they're like, no, you're not. And they're like, oopsie. And he had to run away and maybe he's evil. Is he good because he was just misunderstood? Because he was like, I'm just a dude trying to channel the source, dude. I don't know what to tell you. And is he a little bit of both? And will we go on a journey where we find out about Mazram Tayyip? Yes, we will. <laughs> I love Mazram. I, especially when you're a teenager reading it, you're like, I want to dress like that. Well, that's exactly, Will. That is so funny that you said that because that is exactly what, in a nutshell, I would say is important about this pick. You could definitely read, like, this um, unwieldy male magic source as a puberty metaphor or Mm -hmm. a masculinity metaphor or something like that. It's like, you know, you're seizing on this power that you can't control, and it can be destructive if if left unchecked, right? And uh, in that regard, you definitely see why this book appeals to you when you're a young person. 
Um, Because if you're a lady, you're just like, yeah, look at us. We're in our tower. We got it all together. Everything's all cool. But if you're a young man, you're like, he's just like me. Exactly. (laughs) Which is why it works so great over the series because it's so long. You start reading them when you're a teen. Like you're like the teen boys who leave the village. And then as you read more books and get older, you start to be like, oh, these women who just keep telling us what to do and stuff, they were right about everything. And I'm growing up and it's hard to (laughs) keep my head together. and And it's hard to make hard decisions and yeah. you gotta you gotta be an adult but i think he's a great character for our purposes because i i think he represents what every young man reading the series wishes he could see when he looks in the mirror yes you know and it's so he's like i'm gonna go to hot top and get and get a fedora or like you know i'm gonna go to hot top and get a wallet chain and i'm gonna get a trench coat yes pre-columbine or i'm gonna get a uh, some spats you know i'm gonna wear a derby hat to the dance you know, you're making all these because choices. Because I'm an outsider, because but I'm an I look outsider. good to people who know the score. Yeah, <laughs> because I'm an outsider, and I'm just like Mazram time. Exactly. And you are not. It's we, sad, but that's that's the experience, <laughs> right, you know. Right. You know, we all go through our awkward phases, all of us do. I know we'll talk a lot more about Wheel of Time, but that is a great character to start with. He's, he's a great wizard. Number four. Here's a riddle for my next one. I know you're a fan of riddles. I love them almost as much as I love practical jokes. (laughs) Here are some hints. Ain't got no distractions. Can't hear no buzzers or bells. Don't see no lights a-flashing. Plays by sense of smell. Should I keep going? (laughs) Uh, Always gets a replay. Never seen him fall. He sure plays a mean... Oh, <laughs> it took me a while to get there. It is weird because you don't think about the lyrics. No, I don't think, you think about, about the, the momentum. I don't think about the wizards. I really don't. Like, I'm sorry, the wizards. I don't think about <laughs> the wizards or the lyrics. Okay. So this is yeah. the pinball wizard from the album Tommy by The Who. He's a pinball wizard that has to be a twist. A pinball wizard got such a I wanted to pick this one because this was the modern whiz that I was okay, arguing for. Fair enough. Because that is that is how we think about them. And and I I will defend this. I think this is I think it's a good one. So like I was saying, this is our modern interpretation. This is somebody with the knack. Uh, I also love a good concept album, so I had to pick this because they let you see the real world like a storybook. It is sort of magical in that way. And by the way, Rebecca's new album comes out this fall. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> So here's some background about this uh, song and this album. I think everybody knows this song, by the way, even if you don't know where it's from. Like many of the Who songs, it sounds very clunky and upbeat, but it's actually a pretty heavy story that underpins the Tommy album. It was a double album released in 1969 that told the story of a boy with a traumatic childhood who can't hear, speak, or see. The lyrics in the chorus are from the perspective of the local pinball champ who says that, that deaf, dumb, and blind kid sure plays a mean pinball. Okay. It uh, yeah. If it's, it's, weirdly enough, I've seen Quadrophenia, uh-huh. but I have not. I don't know. I I saw it too, and I don't know what I saw. I don't know why. Why did I mean it was in school? Uh, don't you miss the idea of like a local champ, like a local arcade champ, like in uh, that King of Kong movie? Oh yeah, like the guy in your town who's just like you know the best at the one yeah. thing. And there's not some international weird scoring thing that's for some reason refereed by an old man in Iowa in a yes. referee. 
On the other hand, it's, it might be kind of like the local good guitar guy at Guitar Center, which can be very, very annoying. Yeah, I don't know. You know, I kind of lament having local... It's it's the same thing about singers, yes. you know? Like, you'd have local people who are really, really good and talented singers, but these days, you feel like you're in competition with literally everybody, everywhere, all the time. And if you're not elite tier, it makes you want to give up. Well, on, you don't want to start, even yeah, if you might be elite on, tier on, later. On beautiful expressions of the soul, which are important so and things get kind of homogenized that way too because yeah. you're always benchmarking off of yeah, whatever the established thing yeah, is yeah whatever the certain the current standard is but yeah i do i do lament the lack of pinball pinball wizards yes. in my life <laughs> so i like these stories like this pretty much any concept album especially in the 70s like the wall or the residence or something but even in movies like the whiz you were talking about about the Ninten- <laughs> nintendo i mentioned Wizard, with derision um, i like I like ideas that make you think about magic in our own world. Like, whatever your situation is, you can do amazing things like this pinball wizard kid. And it may not be innate or a gift either. So something I'll table for my last pick later. Um, There's one frustrating thing about uh, wizard stories uh, or um, uh, young, gifted YA people's stories is that I think their power is often innate or something. Like, Mm -hmm. I never knew this about myself. Uh, like, I didn't know I was special all along. I don't like that. I like to think of magic as a discipline and somebody that is completely ordinary but managed to um, achieve something spectacular through um, hard work or their own doing. Yeah. So um, I'd like to think maybe that, you know, the, the pinball wizard really worked on this. Uh, and, and, but, I mean, he definitely had to have practiced. Yes. I mean, you know, hours <laughs> and hours. And nobody's going to come to the machine and kick him off of it. What? Like, like wh- why would you do that to that poor kid? <laughs> what was the big pinball machine in, in your town? Like, where did you go? Like, did you go to like a, is there a pizza place you liked or a bowling alley? Like, what was the pinball machine you think of? Now, I don't know if I remember. I, I think they, they did have them, though, at the pizza place at Mr. Gaddy's. That was like the, mm-hmm. they, they had those great flat top across from each other um like miss pac-man games like those you know where you could ostensibly eat pizza and get your greasy fingers all over the rollerball (laughs) on the galaga machine or whatever yeah so i I think they had a couple there too so but yeah it was it was mr gaddy's pizza okay and and what was the game you said this pac-man I don't. I don't know. I mean, Which I think pinball? they did have pinball machines, but they were like generic. Oh, I you know? see. Yeah. I see. Okay. It was part of the overall mystique and atmosphere. Okay. So you, yeah, okay. Ours was uh, the the Ninja Turtles one. At our oh, okay. Alley. I like Ninja Turtles. I mean, one. I remember idly flipping it a couple of times, and then like when you were a kid, you're like, "Well, you're sounding like it was unbranded. No way you were. No wonder you weren't interested. You could have had the Adams Family one. Yeah, no, we didn't. Yeah, no, there was not anything exciting. I was familiar with the mechanism, but you do the flippers real hard. You watch the little ball roll in the middle <laughs> right. of it. And you're like, oh, I'm only six years old. I don't have any more quarters. <laughs> exactly. It's very sad. <laughs> no wonder you weren't a pinball wizard. <laughs> no. Come on, Mr. Gaddies. I wasn't destined to be. <laughs> Number three. To await trial for conspiracy and sedition. Ah, I hope he might hit this little snag. You seem to be laboring under the delusion that I'm going to... What was the phrase? Come quietly. Well, I can tell you this. I have no intention of going to Azkaban. Enough of this. Take him! All 
celebrate as we as we heat up the countdown and get closer to the top. At number three, I think we got to do a classic wizard, and thus I am going with Albus Dumbledore mm-hmm. from the Harry Potter series. Okay, I think this is number three on our list of like our stock wizards. Like you've got Merlin, then Gandalf, then to me Dumbledore. I think probably. Yeah. Not that he's boring. I'm just saying, like, he is such a classic he is example. A cl- I mean, he is a classic example, but I feel like since, number one, my picks have been weird, and number two, <laughs> just, you know, whatever. No, I did want to talk, at, like, about him a little more specifically, because, um, well, I've not read the books. I'll mm-hmm. just go ahead and say that. And I'll, also, I I know there are some, like, diehard Harry Potter lovers out there, but I'm sorry. I don't think I'm missing anything. Like, I, I'm sorry, but I don't think J.K. Rowling is, like, gifted with prose. I know she's created a very delightful world, and I'm not being condescending. But if I am, she deserves it, because she's crazy lately, so yes. whatever. <laughs> so whatever. But, I mean, I do think, you know, this world is is a very well-realized world, and it does really shine in films. Like, I'm not, yeah. you know, I'm sure there's lots of details in the books that the films couldn't even touch, but, you know, the films were fantastic. And I like him because I feel like he is the mentor that I think we all wish we could have had. Uh-huh. I really like how in the films he changes from, like, from the first movie from being, like, an authority figure, like, school principal, like, tsk, tsk, to by the end he's a really trusted, close, you know, advisor, friend, you know, partner in fighting and everything. And, and I think that's a really nice mm-hmm. journey that the characters take with each other and you really I mean you really do get like the full journey with them even just watching the films because like if you remember the first movie is all like ooh the be- jelly beans taste like all flavors <laughs> yeah. and like ooh chocolate frogs it went and, from whimsy to yeah butterbeer quidditch yes it goes from that to the moment in the in the films that is maybe like the only thing I really remember from all of the films uh-huh. which is the scene in Half-Blood Prince, where they need to get the Horcrux out from under uh, where the, the potion of despair is concealing it. And, like, it, you can't dispose of this potion. You can't do anything to get rid of it except drink it. That's like you have to ingest it in order to get at the Horcrux underneath. And so Dumbledore has agreed to drink the potion of despair, and it will have very severe, terrible effects on him. And Harry goes with him to do it. And he starts drinking it. Of course, it's like it's... Um, causing him tremendous pain and tremendous just distress and it's this horrible horrible scene and um harry has to coax him to keep going and he has to remind harry to keep coaxing him to keep going Mm -hmm. and it's this beautiful tender moment about trust between the two of them and i'm just like what a beautiful moment between these two characters like i'm like i'm getting like teary and i'm thinking about it but just like that absolute love and trust that you could have for somebody that you're like i've got to do this it's going to be grim like you've got to make me do it and knowing that that person's going to help you do it Ooh, it's good, you know? I know they're children's books or YA books, but that's some, like, that's some really heavy, beautiful content right there. And what great acting that was, too, because it's such a weird, to make you buy into it, it's so abstract. I mean, you you, you get into it pretty quick. I remember that scene. I I remember, it's, like, literally the only scene that I really remember, like, with clarity from watching the whole thing. I mean, like, I remember generally the gist of it, but of the films but Mm -hmm. like isn't that who you want in your life is somebody who is like really cool and you can look up to them and then before you realize it you are standing by their side doing important work Mm -hmm. with them 
Like, what a beautiful thing that is. Not on a grand scale like that, but when you say that, it reminds me of the closest I ever had to something like that was there was a uh, newspaper editor that I used to work for that I kind of felt like that. And he, and he had died like a few years ago, but he was such a cool mentor and he sort of had like a, a beard like, like that or whatever, you know, and I sort of felt like he was a, a good classic mentor. Uh, I really, I really yeah. liked him. He, Aww. I remember one time I he, loved him. he said, <laughs> said something to me that I'd never forgotten. That was just so funny to me is that people used to call the new, uh, the newspaper and complain all the time about something in a story. And instead of him just categorically defending it, he would say, okay. And he would go down point by point with everything they said. And then he would tell them why they were wrong or how we had researched it and why it was right. And just slowly took apart their argument. And he said, well, there's nothing more I like in this world than being able to be self-righteous about something. <laughs> and I thought that was so funny because he, he meant that, that to, to earn being right after someone was a complete jerk to you. And I just thought that was really funny. That's, that's like, you would say that that's next level petty, but it's really not actually. No. You know what I mean? Like, no, I'm just, I'm going to tell you why I'm right. Well, it's because I, I really admired how he likes to uh, balance, the, balance the scales of justice. It isn't fair that they're doing this and we're not going to let them do it. Yeah, and he's on the side of being correct. Yes. You know, if the other person would have had evidence that was like, actually, that's not true. It was like, well, exactly. he would have he taken in the new information. Exactly. And like Dumbledore, he had a reputation for having an insane temper right before I started working there. <laughs> and when I started working there, we, was would, gentle as a we lamb. would cut up all the time, and he really liked my Henry Kissinger impersonation. And oh, uh, he well, was a very sweet guy. You. Yeah, he was a great guy. I loved him. So I, I like the idea of a mentor wizard is what I'm saying. Yeah, Dave Miller, we love you. Great. Number two. Greetings, old friend. <laughs> Fancy meeting you here. Oh, so you do know who I am now. I must admit, you've changed more than a little since the last time we met, before you were straddling the world with your power, so to speak. My next pick wasn't born a wizard. He couldn't cast a cantrip to save his life. But through ages of training and his devotion to the god Mistra. He became immortal and the most powerful wizard in all of Faerun. For my top pick, <laughs> I am summoning Elminster the Mage from Dungeons and Dragons. Okay. I was like, I'm like listening for a glimmer of recognition. <laughs> no. Well, I was going to ask you in your Christmas Dungeons and Dragons comic book haul, did you happen to get an Elminster story? I don't think so. If you don't know, Elminster is like Gandalf for Dungeons and Dragons. In D&D &D lore, besides the gods, he's probably the most powerful character. This is an important pick, too, obviously, because wizard being the class. A class, yeah, yeah sure. Yeah. But yeah, it is important to do a D&D &D pick on here because they are spinning off of the Lord of the Rings archetypes, as we've already said. That's what I was going to say. And They took the Lord of the Rings and dirtied it up and it became yeah. canonical in that context. Okay, so so t tell us tell us more. Tell us. More. Okay, so there's a great novel series about Elminster that kind of lays out where he comes from. He also makes appearances in the Baldur's Gate video games to check on your progress. Usually disguised as a whimsical old man, like he would like, like, oh, do you have time to help an old man? Oh, but I love what they do. Me I too. Love what, I love whenever that comes up in like video games. Stay thy course a moment to indulge an old man. Uh, the Elder Scrolls does that, too. I was going to say... Tiber Septim, the ghost of him, I think, comes sometimes okay. and does that. To what do I owe this honor? I am but a humble prophet. 
Yeah, I love I, I love <laughs> that garbage. I love it so much. And he's just an old man. Exactly. You should, don't ignore me, buddy. I'm not the most me. powerful being in the universe. We can keep doing that Which forever. Which one am I? <laughs> Who am I? Who are you? What business do you have with me? And he's loosely affiliated with like the Dungeons and Dragons good guys that are sort of like the D and D Avengers. They're called the Harpers. But the reason I like him is because, like I was mentioning earlier, he didn't start out this way and this powerful. His family was killed by mage lords, so he grew up as a thief who hated all magic users. But one day, while in a temple, he's visited by the goddess Mistra, the goddess of magic. He becomes one of her acolytes, and for a while, he even agrees to become a woman named Elmara uh, to just experience more of the world and studies magic until he's powerful enough to destroy the mage lords who killed his family. And... I guess he could have had any name when he became a woman. I was just going to mention that too, but he was like, <laughs> that's close. But I thought that, that was such an interesting detail that he wanted to learn so much. He wanted to like... Would you do that if you had the opportunity? Maybe when you were younger. I guess it also depends on like, if we're talking about things that are so mystical, I guess it depends on what time period I'm living in, uh, what area of the world and what age. I yeah. guess it would it would matter a lot. Like now... Probably not. I mean, not yeah. in my current relationship and contexts, but I guess it is interesting. I mean, I guess you, I, if you're interested in learning, I guess it would be an amazing opportunity, I guess. I feel like in the Wheel of Time, that should have been part of their training. They have to oh, <laughs> there, should, there should definitely been a, a character who was a, like a male who was able to access Sidar yeah. and it was sort of like gender fluidity or something. They should have really How done that. Interesting. It's a very gender essentialist story, which is, you know, it's an old fashioned story. So of course, I don't but... want to get off on a tangent, but that's something I sort of noticed when I was doing more reading too, because uh, one of the honorable mentions I'll, I'll talk about more later was um, uh, Alan Moore and I really love his idea of uh, magic and especially the Promethea books, but it is also very gendered. And it's kind of like that same idea of the wheel of time where um, women kind of like hold magic, like a vessel and men act upon it or um, channel it, or they're the action that instigates the magic act or something. And there, there's something very, well, that is very gendered. Yeah. And, and it's just kind of kind of weird. It is a little weird. And I can even understand where that comes from because, uh, I mean, like the lady version of, if, if we're tracing back the roots in, in a gendered way, we've got the Oracle of Delphi, right? Because sure. like the, she's channeling Apollo slash getting high off the ground vapors. Yes. And um, so like, I get where like you're a vessel, like, like I get where that comes yeah. from, but it is interesting. Yeah. It's, 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 it's notable. I'm, I'm not even sure, you know, if I'm ready to render a judgment on it, but it, it, it's definitely gendered. I think we can say. So, uh, also when we're talking about symbolic stuff with this character in all his tales, he's sort of presented like a Jesus character too. Um, when we're talking about, you know, miracles being magic, you can kind of think about that like him, too. He has this special relationship with the goddess Mistra. He's sort of like her apostle, and he even goes to the Nine Hells for a while to test his endurance and, and faith, and then he emerges from a tomb later. It's very, very... I like how that's like. the exit door. It's like, yes. you, like you go down a water slide in the Nine Hells, and you pop out a tomb. <laughs> well, he's not just going to, like, show up in town on the road like, no, if I'm coming back, I'm coming out of a tomb. <laughs> Spectacle. That's moving the stone. <laughs> so yes, he's worked. He's he's immortal and he's powerful, but these aren't just fun powers. In his thousands of years of existence, he's used that time to learn everything he can about magic, 
to experience the world as another gender. He's tested his endurance in hell, and he's held on to his sanity and sense of justice. So for me, he's the best wizard. Well, before we name our top wizard, we feel compelled to list some honorable mentions. Honorable mentions. Now, my list is weird because it's like both too huge to count. There's just too many of them. Uh-huh. So I'm just going to say there's too many of them. And then we have to say Rince Wind from the Siri Pratchett. Uh-huh. Blah, blah. We already talked about him on this podcast, so blah. And then to that, I only add the generic necromancer from Elder Scrolls Oblivion because they're gross and I love them. I like them too. Because they're always everywhere and they're trying to like summon their disgusting zombies at you and then they die and you can get their robes and then you can wear their robes. I was going to say that I like them the most because I like their robes. Yeah, you can wear their robes. It's a good look. (laughs) And they always have mort flesh on them, which is gross. (laughs) And like calipers. Like they put junk on them that's appropriate. Oh, I forgot about the calipers. Of course you'd like the calipers. You're so (laughs) painful with them. You need calipers when you're necromancing. (laughs) I don't know why, but you do. This one is... To that that you add. Sorry. Oh, oh, yes. Uh, To that I would add, like I mentioned... Alan Moore, because I like his concept of magic, which yeah. distilled down to his essence is just the idea that whatever you can imagine is real and tangible as much as anything else. Which I love, too, because, again, we, I, I want to be deemed a living work of art, you know? Like, <laughs> you, you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. that, that, there's, there's definitely need for magic in our daily lives. I want to see it like that, yes. Yeah. I would also add David Copperfield, who was like a superhero for our generation. Oh, yeah. I remember one of his live specials. He did a card trick with you on the screen, and I followed along and was so excited. And he didn't guess my card, I'm sure, because I did the trick wrong and couldn't follow the instructions. <laughs> but I was so mad. I was like, he failed. He failed. His feats have failed. False prophet. Burn him. <laughs> he just made the Statue of Liberty disappear. What more do you want But that from card him? trick <laughs> kind of ruins it. And then last, and then the other pick I have. This is almost like. Well, I have to tell you though, sleight of hand ma- magicians do not count as wizards. <laughs> as dangerous card tricks. God, I, I kind of feel like I missed out talking about this, but no. I really wanted to be a magician when I was when I was a young man. I had like a little can of beans, magic hat, and a little magic kit. I love this stuff. Oh my lord! I was, and I would also add Darkheart from the Care Bears movie. Who was, oh, okay. who was the kid who uh, turned into the robe evil? monster wizard who was very scary and he looked really cool all right so what's your number one wizard of all time number one steel isn't strong boy flesh is stronger look around you there on the rocks a beautiful girl. Come to me, my child. Okay, this is a good one because it's a tie. All right? This is a tie between Akiro the Wizard, the Chronicler of Conan, Conan the Barbarian, and Thulsa Doom, the 1,000-year-old necromancer who cuts his own bangs, played by James <laughs> Earl Jones. And again, Conan the Barbarian. Uh-huh. 
Okay, so I had to pick two of them, right? So James Earl Jones as Thulsa Doom is a classic, tremendous villain. I mean, he's he's amazing. It's just, you know, it's James Earl Jones chewing the scenery. They put an echo effect on every line he gives, whether he's in, like, a cavernous room or just, like, sitting here talking to you. Like, Hand face me to face. that, will you? <laughs> yes. Contemplate this on the tree of woe. Yes. So he's got a great look. Uh, he looks like an alt girl who could tell you things about astrology because he's got like little teeny bangs, like blunt cut uh-huh. at the top of his head and like long black hair. And they give him blue contacts um, that look very otherworldly. Yeah. And one one time he gets snake eyes, but, but anyway, um, it, you know, to make him look like he is of no, you know, like to make him look like none of the other tribes or races yeah. in the film right so it's like it's like he comes from an ancient people that we don't know anything about and and can they do sleight of hand magic <laughs> probably <laughs> uh he's a shapeshifter okay we see him turn into a snake which is exciting other than that we don't see him do a ton of magic but he does have a very heavy power of suggestion and sort of influence that that he uses as a villain and an amazing villain at that um, and I think we can all agree that James Earl Jones telling you something, anything in his voice is worth listening to. Yeah, what we're doing is a big deal because James Earl Jones is <laughs> yes. Contemplate this on the tree of woe. And again, I remember you talked about Alexander the Great's mother several podcasts ago, and I was like, ooh, snake cult. Well, he has a snake cult, right? Okay. James Earl Jones is the leader of a snake cult. And so does Alan Moore. <laughs> It makes you want to join a snake cult. Yeah. Am I right? Like, you're like, okay, <laughs> if I'm going to join a cult, snake cult is right up there. You know, I'm not going to do one of the ones where they're like, let's go sort lentils in the barn for the mothership. You know, like, I'm not going to do that cult, <laughs> but I might do snake cult. I'm just, I'm just saying, you know, there's lots of writhing and I don't know, topless worshiping. I don't know, whatever. <laughs> it's a, it's a, it's a good, it's a good environment. Yeah. It's a good environment to be a nihilist. Oh, I get it. Um, So, obviously, he's amazing. And Conan the Barbarian is a really fun movie, if you've not watched the first one. Um, 1982, of course, Arnold Schwarzenegger, his breakout role, you know, Mm -hmm. becoming the Arnold we we so love today. But the reason why I had to make this a tie is because there's another wizard who's really prominent in this film, and it's the man who narrates the film, although we don't meet him until halfway through. I don't even know if they refer to him by name in the script or in the movie but his name is Akiro and he is a crazy wizard in the middle middle of the desert and we meet him because Conan is on a quest to kill Thulsa Doom and uh he stumbles upon his crazy wizard shack uh-huh. which it is a, he's got a crazy wizard shack he's got a crazy fringed outfit that looks like a bunch of little rags of red hanging off of him um, Can you imagine just waiting for people to show up in the desert? Like, oh, get my robes on. Get yeah, my robes on. Yeah. Like, What's my last oh, I've been expecting you. And that's why It's he, like a reenactor or something. Like, oh, oh get old Tommy. Get, get old Tommy, quick. Put no that, one's been here in Yeah, so butter long. turn, butter turn. No one's been here in so long. No, but um, he is the kind of uh, wizard energy I think we can all get behind because he's just doing his wizard thing. He doesn't want to be bothered. Um, he does help Conan throughout the course yeah. of the movie. He's got that aloof thing we talked about. He's like a sage. He's- yeah. And, you know, at the end, he helps Conan and his partner, Subutai, like at the end, for the final confrontation. And then when Conan asks him if he's going to help with the battle, um, Akiro just laughs and goes, no! <laughs> like, in a crazy way. 
Which I love, and they both laugh about it together. All wizards are like that because they're above it. That's what I was saying about the difference yeah. between a sorcerer and a wizard. Like they are above it. This is they they live in the abstract. Yeah, like he's he's here to have fun and to help oh, you. A influence, little bit. but I won't use my hand. Exactly. He's like I I got wizard stuff to do, and, and yes, and Conan does not hold it against him, and it's hilarious. So anyway, <laughs> these are a pair of great wizards in a great classic film, and I just don't know if you could do better than these two. It's like the best part of being a wizard and the worst part of being a wizard, which is sometimes your snake cult um, doesn't go the way you want it to go. (laughs) Okay, so that was a really good list. You know, one of the the main things that is sticking out to me is uh, I was reminded by the uh, Wizard of New Zealand. I'm learning that a big part of being a wizard, if I were going to be a wizard, is you have to be a destination. Uh, that's how you know you're important people seek you out yeah you are a legend you don't know what kind of help you're going to get if any yeah make yourself a destination yeah if you want to be big that's a that's a good that's good this was a hard topic because uh, also we talk about that show uh peep show all the time uh but it's like looking at the sun i mean it's just so hard like to do wizards that's a big one but i feel like this is pretty representative and i'm happy with the list it is and you know what later we may you know we may break it down we may break down necromancers or like good wizards or Mm -hmm. what have you or prophets or best best looks you know shapeshifters like i'm sure there's tons of wizards we can split it down into but for now that's pretty good i think so too Well, if you have thoughts on this list or your own suggestions, email rumors at thewizardsnightshirt.com or hit us up on social media, and we might share some of your thoughts on the next episode. Well, where can people follow us? You can find us on Twitter or Instagram, or you can visit thewizardsnightshirt.com to find out about this show and our other shows like Curdle Holler, our original Halloween comedy series, which is going to have a special coming out around Halloween, as well as a complete archive of our Masters of the Universe review show. Or, and and I like we like to pitch uh, uh, episodes that are related to this one. How about any of the ones with Zagras? The it's literally the first episode. Oh, that's of a good the, one. The Cosmic Comet, but that I don't. It was. T- <laughs> Zagras. There's another. A, he returns later. Zagras does not deserve a list on our top eight. <laughs> I hate to say it. I'm sorry, Zagras. Or come geek out with Rebecca about audio production on her weekly stream at Twitch.tv/KeenGarity. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week when we call for new champions. The legends they tell of a hero Facing down fears and cutting down foes There's no resemblance to what you know When your own deeds feel humble